Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Game of Thrones Tower of Babel Breakdown. This is for Season 5, Episode 6, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken, which Daniel spoiled for us the meaning of last week at the end of our episode last week. It's not week. a spoiler. Well, and it, you it, can know that. You just can, look on Wikipedia. Yeah, you can know lots of things that would be considered spoilers. Whatever. It's not a spoiler. Whatever, no, that, that no, house works. No, I don't want to hear it. I don't need to hear your, your excuses. <laughs> Um, but I just got to say, uh, we normally save our final thoughts for the episode um, to the end. But I think the end of this episode is probably going to have a lot. It's going to be a lot more controversial than our normal uh, endings are. And I just want to make, I really, really like this episode. I think it's one of my favorites uh, for sure this season. Absolutely. Um, it's really it's really starting to tie things together quite nicely. More, you know, bringing things full circle, which is nice. I, you know, it always feels good when you bring everything together. So, I mean, we'll talk about our, our full, full thoughts at the end, but uh, I just wanted to say to, to kind of flavor uh, our review this week that, uh, I don't, would you call these reviews? I think they're, it's, a, it's a form of review, right, Dan? Uh, sort of. Okay. It's like a recap. Recap, review. Well, for those, yeah, for those who haven't listened to uh, our, our show before, it'd be odd for you to <clears throat> jump in on this episode, but in case that's the case, uh, my name is Julian, my co-host is Daniel. I've never read any of the books. Daniel has read all of the books that have been out so far, um, but we talk about the show as a show, um, and we leave book spoilers out, so in case you're worried about that, except for Daniel's spoiler last week. That was it. That was an oversight, but whatever. I don't um, think that's a spoiler. Uh, that's what ridiculous. Did I say? <laughs> but uh, let's get into it. Let's just jump right in. Um... We'll start in Bravos. We have Arya. She's again. She even though she moved on to like the next phase of her training. Last time we saw her with the washing the bodies instead of just sweeping the floor. She's again a little getting a little frustrated uh, with her, the tediousness of her work. She doesn't. She doesn't under. She doesn't know why she's washing these bodies. She wants to know why. Well, understandably so. Um, and uh, she confronts her. Do we get? Do we know this girl's name? I guess we don't, hey? Which is not in the show, no. Just another person there. Um, about, you know, why is she doing this? She wants to know why. Um, and then they play the game of faces again, which we find out really for once what it actually is. Um, it's, a, it's a game of lying to each other. Um, yeah, just be as believable as you can be. Yeah, so she, you know, she does the. You get this great scene where she's like, tells this like backstory that we don't know if it's true or untrue. Uh, which I guess is the point of the game of faces. Um, I would note that though, um, with what the the girl uses here and with with what later Arya uses with the little girl, it seems like their method of um, of lying is just to like relate to the person they're talking to, you know, because um, the the girl here makes like oh you know I was a I was a noble girl too and a noble father just like you blah blah blah. And then mm-hmm. later on, Arya says, like, oh, you know, I was sick just like you. And then my, my father did this just like your dad did. Well, I think that's how things work. It's, it's much easier to relate to someone's story if you can sympathize with them. Mm, that's they, true. You know, they can actually understand the feelings of, behind it. So it's just also, a good strategy. Yeah. In this case, it also does seem like she, like, learned from what this girl used. Like, she's like, well, she said that to me and it obviously worked mm-hmm. for me. So that I'm going to use that same formula with the little girl. But anyway. Um... <laughs> Apparently, if you're wrong in the game of it, if so they can catch you lying, they get to hit you. I guess is the um, uh, how the game works. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think he's just hitting her, but yeah. Well, no, she doesn't. She hit her too. Uh, at the same, uh, uh, I think it was in a previous episode. But yeah, the, yeah. the girl hit her. Um, and then we get Jackin does the same thing. Where and then this time Arya's telling her backstory, but throwing in these little lies 
every once in a while. Um, the notable ones are she's lying about hating uh, the hound, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Which I think we kind of already... It seemed like they had been getting along pretty good, even though... Yeah, it's one know. of those things like she's been telling herself her entire life that she hates him, and then when she you know, had to spend that much time with him, she got to know him a bit better, and then she didn't quite hate him, but she can't say that. She yeah. has to hate him. So, yeah, so that and that she um, doesn't want to be nobody because, uh, you know, getting revenge for what happened to Arya doesn't mean anything if you're not Arya anymore, right? So she really really wants this ability so she can, you know, exact revenge. So obviously she's still on to the, but apparently Jacken doesn't really care that much about that. So because after the uh, that scene, Arya has, is sweeping the floor again. Apparently she was demoted. And uh, we have uh, a father bringing in her his like really sick child, like, presumably with some sort of cancer or something similar to that. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just seems like she's they don't know what's wrong with her, and she's getting worse and worse and more yeah, ill. Yeah, painfully and, sick. Right. So um, we have Arya throwing. We talked about this already, but throwing these, you know, use this sympathy, you know, like telling her that you know your dad, you know, brought you here to heal you, just like my dad did. Blah blah blah. And then gives her the water from the uh, from the, the pond, well. yeah, the well that we all know just kills people, so uh, presumably poisoned or something. Uh-huh. And uh, you know the daughter dies, and then we see her them washing her body later on, um, and that she wa- shows her washing the hair. I think that was from the first scene though, but that does call back to a scene later in the episode with Sansa, but uh, that's not really that important. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess the big reveal here is that she, I guess, because of that, is given a promotion and then goes... <laughs> she unlocks the, the last dungeon or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, they walk down the stairs. They look exactly like the stairs that she walked down to get to the other... Yeah, room. no, her life is like a video game. She has to do a certain thing and then unlock this next chamber and then <laughs> grind through that for a little bit and then unlock the final chamber. Yeah, and then she goes down and then it's the... What do they call it? The uh, Hall of Faces. Mm-hmm. Um, so we find out what happens to the corpses. They're preserved so that they these faceless men can use them as disguises, I guess? Uh, yeah, I don't really know what that's all... I, I, they kind of allude to that in the books. It, it, that's never been explicitly said in the books. You just kind of... It, it's implied. But uh, it looks like in the show, the heads are preserved. I don't know what happens to the bodies. And then they can use some sort of magic or something to, to apply that skin to their face. Hmm. Well, it's, yeah, it's... And it, it's like, not just a mask. Like, there's, there's a layer of magic to this. So okay. has to, and, well, yeah, and, like... Because otherwise they would you know, deteriorate and stuff. Yeah. And it's also mentioned that, like, there's a lot of bodies here. Like, it's, like, a, ton, a yeah. really big room. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, do you really need that many different faces? Like, you know... I, I think if that's what you're doing, it's kind of, like, the more the better, right? Yes. I, how many, I mean, we also don't know how many of these people there are. It seems like it's not clear. I mean, there's, it seems like there's, like, you see a couple people every now and then walking, like, carrying, carrying bodies on stretchers. <laughs> like and then there's that one other girl and Jackin and that seems like that's the the totality of the uh, House of Black and White. Um, but I guess maybe the others are out on missions. Yeah, there's probably a few others, but they don't need to show them. And so it seems like at the House of Black and White, their kind of job is to kind of like is euthanasia, kind of is what they mm-hmm. do. Okay, whatever. We can get that can be that's understandable. If even though some people might disagree, it's something that people do. Um, but we also know that they keep these faces so they can be faceless men. But are they also assassins? 
Is that what? Like, I don't. Yeah, there's they're they are hired assassins. Like they they have this whole spiel about it being you know giving people the gift of death, and it's like a it's like a pseudo religion for them. But they are not even pseudo; it's just a religion for them. But they are also hired to kill people around the world. Huh. Okay. Because I think like I mean I get. I guess it's kind of talked about before that they're like these famous assassins, but then now it's not really been brought up again since like they're very much like monks in the like in the yeah. so it just seems like it's a weird clash between like they're very like you know being in, you know like these this like doing a service and then while also you know being guns for hire. I don't know. There's um, probably more to it. Like whoever's hiring them probably has to sacrifice some sort of you know it it it, it ties into the religion. They're not just giving them money. I think, yeah. but I don't know. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll learn more as the season progresses. I mean, there's four. There's only four episodes left this season, so hopefully we'll learn more anyway. Um, and then we can move on to the next scene. Uh, somewhere in Essos, I guess. They're not in Valyria anymore, I presume. Um, we have Tyrion and Jorah. Um, and Tyrion kind of lets it slip that uh, Jorah's dad died north of the Wall. Um, I... And I guess and Tyrion only knows because people might have told him or you heard from... Because he wasn't there, obviously, when it happened. No, so. but he was in the capital at the time, so they got a letter. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, but anyway, Jorah didn't know, which is weird because it, it, it's it's so easy to forget, like, this world is, is pretty big and they, they do make these little, like... We do have these problems where people run into each other randomly in this really big world, but it's moments like this when you find out that someone's son... Uh, has been living for th- like I guess it's been almost two seasons since this happened, and um, hasn't known, and now finally knows that his father passed away or was killed by you know, a mutiny. Which it's especially way- weird because there's that scene last week where Aemon receives a letter from like Daenerys's camp somehow. Yeah. So there is some sort of connection there, and there why wouldn't there have been beforehand? Yeah, because he was with he was with uh, for, during that time. Yeah. I guess, but, but yeah, but at the same time, important, but yeah, no, like, but the, they shouldn't have any news of that. No, they shouldn't. But at the same time, it's not like the Daenerys's camp was is sending ravens to King's Landing, sending you know and stuff like that back and forth. It's not like they're directly not in contact with people in Westeros, so it makes maybe makes sense. So that's why he didn't hear it. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. They like, they are apparently in contact with the Night's Watch, which is the, like they would have sent the news. Yeah, that makes it's, sense. It's, it's, it doesn't. It's, it's, it's very, yeah, it's confusing. Unnecessarily so. It was just a plot device so you could have that scene with Eamon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, okay, so what <laughs> else? So, okay, we have a nice scene where, they, where they're walking along this really prairie. It reminds me of uh, Saving Private Ryan for some reason. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know what the scene I'm talking about. I do about, understand. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, they're kind of just rehashing what they talked about a couple weeks, uh, a couple weeks ago about... Uh, the, like the faults in uh, Jorah's plan, uh, you know, you know what's your what's your what's gonna happen when we finally get there? And we kind of go over that again. How it doesn't his plan isn't really fully thought out. Yeah, it's it's born of desperation. Yeah. And, yeah. and then they're interrupted by a ship that seems that oh it's anchored, and then oh they're slavers and they're caught, and then things get really get exciting where we get to see uh, not only do we get to see Tyrion uh, talk his way out of uh, being killed. Which I we haven't seen in a long time, but he was yeah. like really quick on his toes. Love, love to see that. Tyrion gets the best lines, really. Um, and then we also he also saves Jorah, and uh, this is another um, way that this episode brings things full circle. Jorah's gonna be fighting in the fighting pits, 
So. Yeah, if anything, this is a quicker way for them to get to Marine. So you know, and for, for some reason, I don't know why I thought about this, but uh, it never occurred to me that we would actually see a fighting pit scene this season. You know, like, even though they've been talking about it, talking about it, it always seemed more like a political uh, topic than it was like an actual thing that was going on that we could we were going to see. You know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it makes sense now in retrospect, obviously hindsight being 2020 that they would talk about it so much and that we would eventually see it as well yeah um, it's for sure happening later this season yeah so we're getting a crossover of, of spartacus and game of thrones so you can't go wrong <laughs> um and uh and then yeah so i guess <laughs> Tyrion has to is gonna you know is gonna be kept alive long enough until they can find a cock merchant which um didn't know was a <laughs> a job <laughs> yeah. um who grows up dreaming of becoming a <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not even going to touch that. Um, anything else you want to mention about that scene? I liked it. I just thought it was a, it was a lot of fun. Even though oh, we, I loved it. I'm, I mean, we, we said this a million times, but Dinklage is awesome. Like he's yeah. very frantic, and and he, you know, like there's a even though I know he doesn't die there, like I, I thought he was like he, he was like holy shit, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was actually like. On the edge of my seat. Oh, so he kind of because he was like he like freaked the he freaked exactly. the shit out. Um, Jorah was kind of like he seemed like he kind of succumbed to the the fate a little. Um, but I mean, like I love how he's like, yeah, no, he's a great warrior, and then he says that whole thing about how he killed a uh, uh, what the Dothraki blood rider. Yeah, and then you know it then named him, and then said, with my in single combat. But again, anytime you can say in single combat is already pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, I just love to see Yagi yeah, again. It's just a, it's just great to see Tyrion at his uh, and Dinklage in this case uh, at their at, in their prime. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can move on, I suppose. We'll go to King's Landing. Lots of happening in King's Landing. Uh, lots of lots of fun stuff going on here. <laughs> um, so Littlefinger arrives. He's confronted by the High Sparrows. They kind of say, "Hey, we don't have." Um, <laughs> they kind of. <laughs> They just empty threats, uh, kind of. Uh, just thought, like you know, we don't take kindly to your t- types around here. Uh, <laughs> There's a new sheriff in town. Yeah, and, and like they, you know, and they can't really do anything about it right now. Uh, but they kind of say, hey, if you don't slip up, we'll we'll catch you. Um, but then, really, what's interesting is when he goes to talk to Cersei. So he goes right, he goes straight to that, and he sits down, and they get right down to business. And let's, I want to let's go through this slowly because I feel like. At first, the scene, um, it seems like Littlefinger's throwing Sansa under the bus. That's the that's the first, your first thought here. So he says, he tells Cersei right off the bat that Sansa is going to marry Ramsay and that she's still alive. Um, oh. But first, he does, well, I guess before that, he kind of appeals to her uh, by saying, you know, I failed you in finding the Stark girls, but, uh, finding Arya, but I did find uh, Sansa, you know, um. You know, obviously leaving out the whole fact that he helped her escape and all that kind of stuff, you know, technicalities. <laughs> and and then says, hey, by the way, he's gonna, she's she's in Winterfell, um, which means that there's nothing really you in the south can, with your armies, there's not really anything you can do about that, you know, war-wise. You can't send your army up there, you're not going to. Winter's coming. Winter's finally coming, even though we've been talking about it for so long. Um, then... Which, and then that obviously gets that gets Cersei really pissed off. She's a very emotional person. We've already we've gone through this. Like yeah, that's the thing. All these scenes with Cersei in that room, it's like the complete opposite. Tywin just sits there and 
and he knows his enemy, and he's yeah. calm and collected, and Cersei, like, they, they're getting the better, and that's the little finger's playing her, obviously, because he knows he can't. Yeah. And it's so easy when someone's so, when someone's that emotional about Yeah, that's predictable it, that she would it, react that way to Sansa, yeah. right? Like, it's like, oh, well, we gotta go kill her, you know? <laughs> and then Cersei's like, oh, you know, you know, I have a solution for that. Why, why don't I send my Knights of the Vale, because he's the acting Lord of the Vale. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go, you know, you know, Stannis is marching on uh, Winterfell. Whoever loses... I'll come in and I'll, you know, you know, clean up the mess and take over Winterfell. And then, but, you know, but, always a caveat with, with, um, with, uh, Littlefinger. Littlefinger. That, uh, he has to be named Warden of the North. Which so, is huge because he would, at that point, be Warden of the North and the East. Yeah, which, is that probably, is that probably never happened before? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, I mean, we have, I, this all very much reminds me of uh, Littlefinger's famous line from, I guess, a couple seasons ago about chaos being a ladder. Um, and he's caused a lot of chaos so far. Uh, it, just in this one scene, he's managed to rile up the queen, or the queen mother, or whatever, the one who actually has the power right now, um, uh, incite war between uh, the, the Vale and whoever wins in... Uh, in, in, the north. in the north, I guess he's presuming it's going to be Stannis, so he's not like initially he's not going to go right back and like and you know he made that promise with Roos, right? So is <clears throat> is he? I think he's really pre- he's fine with and he's prepared to like to turn on that deal that he made with him. Oh right? yeah, easily. But I think he'd prefer if it was Stannis. I think you know he's the, a, the thing is uh, Littlefinger knows he has the numbers either way regardless of who wins they're yeah. both going to be bloody from that battle he'll have the numbers and he'll have the advantage well and we all, we've all heard so many stories about how great the Knights of the Vale are and you have to remember that they stayed out of the, of the War of the Five Kings right so yeah. they, they have a they preserved their army <laughs> shit <laughs> um, so yeah so I guess what, what's, what's, what's Littlefinger's what's the long game here uh, is he his goal is to then hope Sansa doesn't get killed in this mm-hmm. in this multiple set of battles, whether between um, between Stannis and the Boltons or between whoever wins and the Vale, um, and then somehow I guess uh, save Sansa, and somehow and because she's the Wardeness of the North would then somehow, he'd somehow manage to get her as his bride in some way? No, no, no. I think the whole thing is if he takes it, the crown will name him Warden of the North. Because yeah. she, you know, like... But then what, so, does that, what does that do for... I don't sin? know. If, if she's still alive, maybe they would force her to marry him. Mm. That seems to happen to her a lot. But, <laughs> uh... I don't, I, I don't know if his plans are, are strictly about Sansa. I think it's more about him and his power, right? And he's just playing people I just feel everywhere, like, all the time. So what was his whole goal from when, after... Joffrey's death and taking Sansa was his long game at that point to get her into Winterfell so he could go back and tell Cersei to incite this thing so he could be Warden of the North. That seems like a lot of. Well, uh, no, I think, like you said, with the chaos is a ladder thing. Like he's improvising a lot. He didn't know Tywin was going to die, so he had to improvise after that. Yeah. So he probably had a different plan to, like he had the same goals, but he probably had a much different plan in order to deal with Tywin, right? That makes sense. I mean, yeah, Tywin would not have... Um, that wouldn't have worked with Tywin, right? Like, you couldn't come into his office and be like, listen, I'll deal with this, but naming the Warden of the North, he would say no, and, yeah. and he would just tell you to leave, essentially. I'm not sure how much Littlefinger knows, but, like, 
uh, you assume he knows everything, right? Well, he doesn't know anything about about Ramsey, Ramsey apparently. But, but he, he knew that Tywin had a had an alliance with the Boltons, so yeah. that was that that figured into his plan somehow. So maybe he was planning this thing with Sansa marrying Ramsey from like for a long time. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. Anyway, it's, it's hard to keep up with him. He's always so many steps ahead that uh, by the time we catch up, he's already another three steps. Well, and also like, his plans, like it's all, none of it's revealed until like it's too late to yeah. do anything about it, right? Exactly. Uh, anything else you want to mention about uh, Littlefinger and Cersei and Littlefinger's uh, scheming? No, that's cool. No? Okay, well then well, let's move on to Lady Olena. We all love Lady Olena here at the Tower of Babel. Uh, she's one of our favorites. <laughs> Uh, friend of the show, I, I would say. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, Never talked. But, yeah, no, no, but friend yeah, of the favorite. show. Um, and we get, get a, a kind of a throwaway scene of her coming in her carriage and then saying she can smell the shit from here, which is funny. Um, yeah, not really necessary in any no, like storytelling way, quick. but just a funny way to tell her she's back, tell her she's back. Um, and for, she's right to, down to business. She branches in on... Uh, on Cersei, and she's pulling the "I'm writing something, but I'm not really writing anything" ploy that I think she's used a couple times in the season already. Um, a lot of people in that position have, but yeah. Tywin did it best. <laughs> yeah, um, and and then yeah, a really good line from Elena, like right away as Zinger with like, "Oh, the famously tart uh, Queen of Thorns" or whatever, and then the <laughs> the famous tart Queen Mother Cersei, <laughs> yeah. which I was like, Perfect. I was like, ooh. I literally out loud. <laughs> um, love that. Love is like, you know, put the pen down. I know you're not actually writing anything. Well, great. And then, so Cersei's still playing innocent here, saying, you know, I didn't have anything to do with Loras being taken, blah, blah, blah. But then uh, Elena's like right away saying what we're saying. It's like, yeah, you might not have done it yourself, but you you enabled them to do it. We, we're not, I'm not dumb. Don't play dumb with me is what is essentially what she's saying. It's sort of weird seeing Elena like this though, like because normally she does play the game, and here she's really just cutting down the business. You know, she there, there's no facade. She's just talking to Cersei like, "Come on, cut the crap." Well, I think you know what I think it is is because she has no respect for uh, Cersei in any way. Yeah, like she said, she had respect for Tywin. Yeah, she didn't like him, and like she says in the scene, right? Mm-hmm. And she's not going to put up with this little brat's um, games at uh, games at power. He's she thinks she's so clever. Uh, but we can see right through her. It's so transparent what she's doing, and she's not going to put up with it. Um, so she and then she threatens, you know, like, oh, I didn't know you guys didn't need our um, our food and our you know, soldiers. soldiers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't know you guys didn't need that anymore. And then you know, it's like you're. She presently calls her bluff. Oh, it was an idle threat. She's like, oh, no, 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 this is no idle threat. You know, um, or veiled threat. Or I guess they use the for whatever reason they use that word again. It bothered me. <laughs> Um, I think Elena is very much willing and prepared to pull her support and, and be like, listen, you you put yourself in this mess. I mean, she'll do her best to keep her family out of it. But if you're going to pull this kind of crap, I'm not going to stand by and just let it happen. Right? I don't know if I agree with that. Like, <clears throat> forget about what happens later because that also puts her in a completely different yeah. situation. But as of right now, as of this scene, Marjorie's married to Tom and she can't pull Marjorie out of that. Her family is in this. There's no, no way to pull no, the she can, well, she, I guess she'll, she'll do what she can to, to the best of her ability, but she she knows what she can and can't control. She can't control also, what happens with Marjorie, but she can if she uses her leverage to do something with about Loras, she can do something about that still. You know? The other thing about the Queen of Thorns you have to remember is like she doesn't really have any power. She just she just talks to the people in her family that do, and she kind of controls them. 
Mace Tyrell has the power. Marjorie has the power. Yeah, Mace Tyrell's not in the country, right? Well, yeah, but he's he's still alive and he's still the head of the house. Well, he's still alive as far as we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, if I don't know if she if he dies, who takes over as head of the of the? Well, it'd be Loris. Huh. And if he dies, then there's really. Uh, no well, actually, no. Before Loris, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think he's in the show, but there was another brother. But whatever, I think they, they got rid of him. Okay. So it would be Loris. Then after that, I don't know. I guess Marjorie. Yeah, but she can't. Can she do that as the queen? I don't think. I don't know how that works at that point. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. But no, all I want to say is like it really seems like Elena. She comes back and she's used to being in charge. And things are kind of out of her control. She kind of have her, has her back against the wall when she, as soon as she gets into King's Landing. Yes. Because Cersei, even though she's like she's not being smart about this, it's very unpredictable. She's just lashing out, right? Yeah. So it's, like I said, we mentioned the chaos is a ladder earlier. And the, Cersei's made a lot of chaos here. And it's not yeah. clear as to who is going to come out on top. She's made a lot of chaos, but she's not climbing up a ladder by doing so. She's just created chaos. Yeah. So she's just made a big mess of everything. And yeah. Olena as much as she is smart and cunning and has an ability to affect King's Landing in a, in a powerful way, she, because of this chaos, has a lot, there's no grip, there's nothing to hold on to, and things are just falling, or just crumbling, essentially, left and right. Um, like, literally, the whole, like, King's Landing power structure is just collapsing on, in on itself. As we, as, it's like, it's like we're watching a train wreck, and it's, it's super, yeah. super interesting. <laughs> um, this is what happens when Tywin Lannister dies? Like, yeah, um, he was holding it all together. Yeah, apparently it was wasn't. Apparently it was pretty fragile. I mean, it take the, you know if it takes one person dying for it to fall apart like that. <laughs> well, because um, there's like who else is it? Like the the person they put in charge, the king is is a child that's that's been sheltered his entire life. Yeah. He doesn't no idea what to do. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's go, let's. I guess we should move on to yeah. what happens next because that's pretty important. So there is an inquisition that is called by the High Sparrow. I guess he, they, they actually called him the High Septon now. I think. I'm not sure. I vaguely feel like I, I feel like they said that. It, they could have. Sure. Yeah. Um, he is. Anyway. So and uh, I guess three people give testimony here. Loris. Marjorie, and then one other surprise witness. Um, I, and I'm, it seemed to me, it seems like um, Cersei had some sort of was manipulating this in some way, mm-hmm. only based on her reactions. But it's like because the High Sparrow doesn't seem like the. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like it, he's such a wild card. Like we talked about yeah. when he first in, was introduced. Like. How does he find this? What, what, I don't mean, know. What's the other guy's name? The third one, Oliver. Olivar. Olivar. Yeah. How did he find him? Right. Like, how did and how did he know to keep him hidden as like a to set up Marjorie? You know, to to also like that. Like, where does he gain from having Marjorie? You know, like uh, be prosecuted or whatever, uh, persecuted. Um, it, the high sparrow. Yeah. Like, I, just he's not out. Just it, it seems like if he was just out for. Um, whatever he says his reasons are then this this game of like setting her up to to like caught in a lie thing seems like a lot of work to go through you know what i mean Um, yeah he's jumping through the hoops because like uh these are the people he's dealing with he he understands their game but he really like as far as we know is a very pious man and all he cares about is uh the the law the rule of the seven and these people uh were sinners 
so they need to be judged and they need to be punished. Okay, so like that's it. So we get Loras. He testifies. He just says, "Yeah, he denies everything. Everything's all lies." Blah blah blah. Then we get Marjorie. She pretty much says the same thing. The key part there is, do you have any firsthand knowledge of your brother's, you know, heinous acts? She says no. Um, and then we get this Olive our guy, who's the the guy we saw in the first episode or one of the first scenes of the first episode of the season and we remember we talked we remember distinctly talking about how this was a weird scene and it was like what was yeah. the point of it this is how it all makes like, sense now i like that when everything comes full circle this is this is and i feel like it's just going to keep happening now uh for the rest of the season um comes full circle we get a mention of the birthmark again being shaped like dorn uh I, to me it's weird uh what i don't get is what is what was offered to to Olivar to um, to like essentially throw Loras under the bus? You know what I mean? Because the you know the sparrows. It's not like they're bribing him. The only no. thing that like maybe some sort of amnesty, but that doesn't really seem like their style either. They would they would. He's a sinner as well, as far as they're concerned. So they would punish him too. Exactly. So it means so, so he then it should probably have been Cersei bribing him or something, right? Yeah. So he admits to committing whatever these acts as well they called it buggery (laughs) buggery whatever so he admits to that as well but he's is he arrested at the end of the scene no just marjorie and right so that's weird right that doesn't that doesn't like you said that doesn't hold up with with what if the high sparrow was um is honest and is being honest with whatever his beliefs are that doesn't hold up either so that it seems that's why i mean it seems that's why it seems like cersei has a hand in this i mean other than the fact that he she put her in uh, him in power um what are the implications here so Mar- marjorie's arrested she's the queen um yes. Tommen doesn't do anything about it he looks like he does he literally is completely ineffectual in yeah. like in every possible way like he just he i love how every time anything is about to happen the night that like the 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 king's guard go like they're like get ready to do something and then nothing ever happens he's like no don't do anything because <laughs> um, like all he had would have had to have done is storm in to the high sparrow that one day he went to go talk to him right with violence and use violence and then things would have worked you know you can't let this happen and then again yeah. here you can't let the queen be arrested for whatever reason although right? it looks bad for the the king to I, use at this his point power it doesn't matter these religious it, people yeah you can't give I mean I. The thing that hasn't really been shown is like the, the common folk are on on the side of the sparrows. They, they they've lost faith okay. in the crown and they only have faith in the seven. So like the the masses would turn against them if he did that kind but, of stuff. But at the same time, we already know that it apparently doesn't make that big of a difference when the masses don't like you anyway. Mm-hmm. So like, what's the, at this point? Fix the problem and then work at fixing the the problem with the with like the common folk. If that's really the, if that's really what you're doing. You, that can wait. Like the regular people aren't gonna aren't gonna storm the castle and uh, you know and lynch the king and the queen. You know what I mean? Oh, so maybe. I mean it would that would be. It, there's just not enough of them, and there's not you know like there's probably enough of them, but it just it, they wouldn't do that because he killed a couple of sparrows. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't that doesn't hold up. Anyway, I, I, what are the long-term implications here so the, with the queen and loris arrested um obviously cersei has managed to get rid of the queen and uh loris in one fell swoop somehow. and she sent mace away so like all the tyrells are out of uh, except for lady olenna now yeah. so she doesn't have any really effective power and what's her i mean i think olenna's probably crafting a plan as we speak 
She has to, yeah. As to some sort of solution to this. I'm excited to see what that's going to be. Cersei's drunk on her victory here. Um, I think it's a matter of... It's probably next week, I'd imagine, that things are going to start coming crashing down on her. You know, it only takes one little slip before, you know, this, the, you know, the... the, the I can't. I can never think of the analogy here, but she she unleashed this like this uh, this this uh, group of people that are persecuting people for you know this or that or whatever. It's only take it takes one slip for her, on her part for them to be coming after her. Yeah, you know what I mean. Tables to turn it. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what happens there. Um, what else do we have? Um, is there anything else in King's Landing? I feel like there is. Uh, no, I think, no, I think that's actually that that's it. it. Um, that was a lot. That's also a lot for Kingsland. Yeah, yeah, it was good though. It had, we had we were there last week, so it was good to catch up. Um, anyway, in Dorne, we have our first real scene with uh, Marcella and the Prince Tristan, mm-hmm. and uh, they actually seem like uh, they actually like each other for a uh, arranged marriage, which is doesn't happen very often. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess they're only like what, like. 15-ish, maybe less, there, 14, yeah. so I mean... I think Tristan's a bit older, but... Yeah, so I mean, like, they don't really know, but it, I mean, whatever. Um, they don't they don't actively hate each other, I guess that's the biggest change. <laughs> um, uh, and then we have Braun and Jamie in disguise, which I think is pretty funny. Um, and then, you know, then we also have the Sand Snakes who are gearing up to make a play on, uh, on Marcella. Yeah. So... As you know, like I mentioned before, you know things just seem to work like this in in uh, Game of Thrones, where great timing on the part of Jamie and uh, Bronn uh, to get there pretty much the exact same time the Sand Snakes are going to arrive, and they could have gone any time because they live there. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's, I mean it's weird timing on both their parts because either one of them could have arrived first and just stolen her. No problem. <laughs> exactly, um, but we did get a really awesome fight scene out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Really liked the fight scene. Uh, Braun, I love the move where Braun is like hasn't even fully pulled out his sword yet and like blocks two like blocks two moves with like half sheath sword. Yeah, uh, really cool. Um, what worries me though is at the very end you see Braun get cut in the arm after things have already stopped. Um, and we do know that they like to use poison there in, uh, in Dorn. In Dorn. And, yeah, and it was very, like, deliberate, like, close shot of his wrist being cut and, you know, and, going, and just saying ow and whatever and then moving on. Um, but do we think this is maybe the end for, uh, for Braun? I mean, I may... I, I don't know what happens in the books, but we know that this is probably a little bit different than what happens in the books, Sam. Uh, yeah, for sure it is. I, I, I couldn't tell you even if I wanted okay. to. So, Bronn doesn't go to Dorne in the books, so. so I, it's surprising. I mean, I don't... I really hope not, because I really like him as a character. I, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they're killing him off, though, because he's, he's, like, he's run out of uses. He's cool. Everybody likes him. He's awesome on screen. He's great fight scenes, but, like, he's served his purpose. I guess. You know? I guess I just I don't I don't have, I don't like to admit that I don't want to I'm not ready to accept that yet until we learn more. <laughs> uh, it just seems like that might be something that will that can possibly be coming up. It's never said explicitly in, that, in this episode. It just maybe hinted at, um, but we'll see. Um, well, then the fight is broken up by the guard. Uh, I can't remember his name. I feel like we've seen him in other things before, but uh, his name is Ariel Hota. Ariel Hota. Is that the name of the actor or the name of the character? Yeah, the character. Okay, so. Um, we saw there was a brief scene with him and uh, Doran, him mentioning how uh, you know 
Marcella and, uh, T- and Tristan are, you know, I don't, I can't remember what Zach's thing is. He said they have no, uh, it's a Lannister and a Martell. They have no idea how dangerous this is. Yeah. And then he asks Hotel if his axe is still sharp or something, or if he still knows how he knows how to use his axe. Yeah. And it's a, they have to be protected. And, you know, lo and behold, he shows up to protect uh, the two of them. They take all of, including, um, what's her name? Uh, Ilaria, right? She's under arrest as well. Yes. Uh, which is, so everyone is under arrest in this episode. There's a lot of under arrest in this episode. Um, Marcella, yeah. uh, Loris. <laughs> all no, Marcella is like names. the only one. Marcella is the only one who's not. Oh, sorry, that's what I said. Uh, <laughs> you uh, meant Marjorie, Marjorie, yeah. yeah. Uh, all the Sand Snakes. Uh, uh, and Jamie and Braun. Jamie Braun. Like they're all. It's everyone's in jail. <laughs> Very <laughs> um, excited to see how this plays out next mm-hmm. week. Hopefully next week. Because we'll none of these characters are all these characters are so big they don't stay in jail very long. They're too uh-huh. like they're worth. I would just be surprised because a lot of them are worth more being, uh, you know, either bartered in some way or you know uh sentenced to death in some way it just you won't see the you won't see them in jail very long is what i mean like i don't except for oh yeah, yeah. Forgot, oh also um also Tyrion and uh Jordan yeah. are also under arrest <laughs> um so pretty much every major character this episode <laughs> um anything else we want to mention about doran here i mean I, what are the implications here i mean so we we know that they'll know that Jamie and Braun came in, but they'll deny any involvement from like uh, by the crown. Obviously, it's kind of hard for Jamie to deny that, though. I, I that's guess. that's we mentioned earlier. Like he's he's a Lannister. He is inherently tied to the crown, no matter what. I, I mean, I just know that that's what he'll do. He'll deny any that his actions there are yeah, brought yeah, about yeah. by. What I'm more interested on... to see is is how uh, Prince Doran reacts to all this because like. He seems a like a thoughtful man, right? Exactly. He, he really thinks things through. So I don't know if he's gonna. He he he's not the type to just kill them off. You know, he'll use it in a smart way that will benefit him. Yeah, and he already knew that Alario was planning something, right? So yeah. now that he's he's caught her in the act, as it were. Yeah, get what, her off the board. Yeah, take her off the board because she's too much of a hothead. Um, I think Jamie can be reasoned with. I mean, if that's something you want, I think he's smart enough to talk to if you're mm-hmm. Doran, right? Um, I mean, Braun is just a, you know, he's not really involved. It's really the, it's, it's Alaria. Even the Sand Snakes aren't really that involved. They're more like, uh, weapons at this point than they are actual, uh, characters. Um, so, uh, they, they haven't really been developed at all in any way. We got one scene with them where we saw that they, you know, what their weapons were. And then we saw this episode where we saw <laughs> what their weapons, weapons were again. So it's like, okay. Um, but yeah, I guess we can move on from that. I'm excited. Again, this is where things are really starting to ramp up. I'm really surprised that they waited till episode six for them yeah. to start to ramp things up. I mean, this season's like been kind of weird. It's been up and down, but like none of it's. I don't know. I haven't found it as effective as maybe it's supposed to be. You know, I, mean, I, I haven't had that jaw dropping like holy shit scene yet. Well, that this scene, this episode, to me had a lot of those. I mean, I think all these different people being put under arrest were all kind of like holy shit. Yeah, the Lord, yeah. the Marjorie thing was like was yeah. one of those. And I think, like I said, with things coming full circle, we're going to see it getting more of those where things mm-hmm. can feel very satisfying in a story. It's much more like uh, the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones where it was like, not necessarily boring, but like building up to a yeah. huge finish. Whereas last season was kind of steady the entire time. It was just nonstop, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so let's move on to Winterfell and uh, towards the end of the episode. Uh, we have a scene with Miranda. She's the kennel... <laughs> 
I can't remember. What is the kennel owner? Kennel master's daughter. Kennel master's daughter. Thank you. Um, and uh, more importantly, um, she is Ramsey's... Uh, Ramsey's bottom bitch. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Stop using it. I just feel like that's your sister that's talking every time you say that. <laughs> um, and she comes... We have another scene where it's, she's like... Sansa's like in a vulnerable position and then... It's, like, it's just another tense scene. Um, Miranda's washing her hair, washing out the dye. She's going red again. Um, oh. And then in, she's kind of trying to scare her when it comes to Ramsey. turns out all these stories are true. In Maybe to Sansa, <laughs> they, the, they might sound like pretty made up, like a little bit like you're just trying to scare me kind of thing. Um, you know, he has a great line about, you know, I am Sansa Stark of Winterfell. This is my home and you're not going to scare me. But we know we're all thinking you probably should be a little bit scared. For sure, should be scared. <laughs> like you should have lit a candle in that tower like the day she got there. <laughs> yeah. Well, as soon as that lady told her about yeah. it. Yeah. You know. Um, anyway, so she sends her out. Whatever. It's like it's just another tense scene because Sansa is in a vulnerable state. Like she's literally lying there with her neck exposed, and like last time it was her wrist exposed. <laughs> and um, I mean, I, I still understand why we need to have like. I guess it adds a little bit of intrigue with this Miranda stuff. It just seems like a little bit unnecessary. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it does. It did add for a little bit. It did add for that. It was a good scene. Just wasn't. It just this Miranda character just seems so. Like I just, I just don't give a shit about this Miranda person. Um, well, that's like I, I I don't give a shit about any like anything in Winterfell other than Sansa, right? Like yeah. It seemed to focus so much on the Boltons and the, like there's like even in the last episode there's a lot of family drama between Ramsay and Roose. And it's like you don't care about that. I think yeah, those are never going to be characters that I sympathize with. So why waste you know, seeing time think, on that? I think you're not, you know, you don't need to sympathize with them for us to be able to build them as characters. They become better villains when you know more about them. You know what I mean? Somewhat. I think they've done a very good job of establishing Ramsay as a psychopath. Oh, they don't need yeah, to keep yeah. showing scenes of him doing crazy shit. That's fair. That's fair. I'll give you that. But I think with both with both with Roose and Ramsay. I think you need to have those scenes, like from last episode, to establish that there's more to him than just being a crazy psychopath. That there's um, there's a plan here, at least with Roos. With Roos, um, yes. That there uh, there's a there's a there's a larger game here, and what that is, and yes. what the stakes are. That's important because just having those <coughs> mustache twirling villains doesn't work. So no, of course. And what what happened with Roos last week was it's fine for Roos. Ramsey is much more one dimensional though. Yeah. Well, and that's fine, and we keep, we keep he keeps proving that over and over and over again, um, and I think that's important, and it'll it'll come into play with what we talk about um, at the end of the episode, and we'll just yes. hold on to that. Yeah. Um, so we get the scene with the Miranda that's over, and then we have the wedding scene. Theon comes to get her from uh, comes to collect her from her chambers, looking very dapper. He's had a shower apparently. Because uh, like, he has to be Theon, not Reek, for the wedding. Yeah, he's uh, he's got like his little twisty mustache. Love the mustache. Um, very. Uh, I feel like that's actually coming back. It's very hipster. That little yeah. uh, the twisty yeah. mustache. <laughs> um, and then he's less like he's also not like as shaky as he normally is either. There, I don't know if you noticed that. Um, yeah, because like like I don't know. This might be reading too far into things, but it's sort of like he that's a piece of him like regaining his former self, right? He, Slightly, but yeah. Uh, although he does kind of break down when he says, you know, take my arm, you know, if you don't, he'll punish me, kind of thing. Um, Sansa, though, looking quite nice in her 
really badass wedding dress. I gotta say, if this was a show of say yes to the dress, I would say yes to this dress. <laughs> I cannot believe. <laughs> um, no, I just think it's really. It's got like a wolf pelt on it and stuff. Like that's a pretty. Like when it comes to wedding dresses, I mean, there's there's different ways of rating. You know how hot is it? Whatever. Like obviously, um, Marjorie she probably takes the cake for uh, having like the most like revealing, like the nicest. Like she looks the best in it. But then this one is the most like badass <laughs> wedding dress. Okay. You know what I mean? Sure. I, if I, I, if I can, if I can go there. If I think I, I think I'm allowed. I think you already went there. Yeah, it, it happened. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I, we also see like a slightly different take on the weddings that we normally see. There's very, we've kind of learned the language of the wedding in Westeros. Uh, this yeah. one's different though. There's like a, because this is a northern wedding. Yeah, so is it's it, not faith the seven. So they take it to the um, the godswood yeah. by the weirwood tree, right? And that so they're having a wedding based out of that faith the old yeah gods. like a wedding in, in front of the old gods okay and so it's kind of like who's you know who is that who are you and who are you giving away and who is that person claiming her and who's giving him away that kind of yes i, I kind of like that i really like that kind of that change of it i think it's kind of it's, the the north have a very um regimented way of doing things that i, that I like you know mm-hmm. um so the wedding is a wedding. I mean, we, we hear Theon Sam. His name is Theon Greyjoy instead of Reek for the first time in seasons, which is something. I mean, this is probably the beginning of that redemption story I was talking about. Yeah. Um, Hopefully. But, you know, we'll find out. Um, and just like that, Sansa becomes Sansa Bolton instead of Sansa Stark. And, uh, and then we move into the last scene. So this is where if you've been following along with um, anything that's been going on with Game of Thrones uh, as closely as we have, or even half as closely, you'll know there was pr- this final scene is fairly controversial, and by fairly controversial, I mean it's like, pretty controversial. Yes. Not as much as the, the, the scene from, I think, last season with Jamie and uh, Cersei. Um, not quite that controversial, but... I like, think it's on the same level. It's, it's close, though, I'd say, yeah. Um, and, I, I think it's a little less based. I will talk about that. Let me guess. Let me just go through the scene first, and then we'll uh, then we'll get into it. Um, so we have, like I said, we've learned the language of what a wedding is like in in Westeros. We also know what happens after a wedding. There's a tradition there as well. It's presumably similar to the the faith of the seven version, even though it's an old gods version. Everyone has sex after the wedding, right? Well, that's just like. That's what just a wedding. Thing regular married people do. Well, no, the wedding thing is a, yeah. is a ceremony in the south. It's not a ceremony yeah. in the north. So, first of all, right away we know that Theon, there's Ramsay and Sansa, they're all in the room. So right away we're like, something isn't right because three people shouldn't be there, right? Um, and then we have uh, Ramsay question Sansa about her virginity. And then, you know, Sansa has a nice line about how Tyrion was sweet and nice, never touched her, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, then, <laughs> and then... Ramsey has a line about, uh, you know, not lying to her husband on her wedding day, um, about uh, Tyrion watching Sansa become a woman. Very unsettling stuff. Yes. Dress is ripped. Cut to Sansa's face. Uh, pretty much sheer terror. Cut to Theon's face, which is like, he's having, like, he's very much struggling to watch what's happening here. Um, and then cut to black. Okay, um, so 
the implication is, and there's no implication, it's just what happened, that Sansa is raped on her wedding night, okay? Um, that's where the controversy comes from. Obviously, con- rape is a controversial subject, so that's very understandable. Um, and I'll, we'll try to um, to walk lightly here when it comes to, obviously, none of us are, are pro-rape in any way. Like that's, it's very, I don't know if that's a thing. That's not a thing. I, don't, I mean, rapists are maybe pro-rape, you know? <laughs> but let's, we're not going to joke about uh, rape here. It's a very serious topic, right? Okay. So, um, I do want to mention that both Sophie Turner and George R. R. Martin have have given their um, given their take on the scene. Um, Sophie Turner being the one who plays uh, Sansa. Sansa. George R. R. Martin obviously being the author of the books. Um, although he hasn't written an episode this season, he's very much still involved in the show. Um, and I'll read the quote in a second, but I want to get your take on. Uh, this scene if it was necessary if you didn't think it was necessary at all or you know why or why not you know um okay like i was saying earlier they've already established ramsey as a psycho right as a bad person Mm -hmm. i just i don't the only way i can see this scene i don't know if it's not going to pay off it's not something we want to see i don't think it's something we needed to see like i don't think it was necessary i think it's something that they could have implied happened on her wedding night and they could have dealt with it afterwards because what we're going to deal with afterwards is uh, Sansa being changed by this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that that's the real story is how how it affects Sansa, how she knows she's in a bad place, like how she finally learns okay. what kind of person Ramsay is, right? Yep. No, I agree. So the scene itself, I'm worried that it's just there for shock value, and if it's just there for shock value and just there for controversy, then it's not okay. No, I would agree with you on that, but here's why I disagree with you. I don't think it's there for that purpose. I think if you're going to, if like you said, if the goal of what's happening to happen next is that you're going to deal with the um, the change that's going to happen to her or whatever the outcomes of this action, right? Um, to not show it and to imply it. I mean, we don't obviously see it, right? We cut, we have her face and we have Theon's face and then it's black. We don't actually, yes. there's, and which is different than even with the Jamie and Cersei scene, which is even more, I'd say, graphic in that way. Um, but, um, I think if you're if you're gonna deal with those implications to just imply what happened there isn't isn't good enough is not strong enough. Um, basic like storytelling rules is you you, you show you don't tell. Um, you know, it's very, that's very important. And I think if if this is gonna be a very uh, if this is a life changing moment for Sansa to to tell us it happened later on wouldn't be good enough. I'm not saying get rid of that scene though. I'm saying cut it a bit earlier. Mm, you can have all of that stuff happen and it's very much implied what's going to happen we're all already kind of uneasy nobody wants to to witness that nobody wants to hear that could have cut it you know maybe five seconds earlier yeah and it would have been fine i've had i I was i got into i wouldn't say debates i i thought this was a pretty good discussion that i had on over twitter with a variety of different people um over you know the the validity of the scene or i i think a there was a lot of outrage, I would say, uh, online, as there typically is a lot of vitriol. People love to get angry on the internet. That's fair. I think people got a little, oh, got a little out of hand. Okay. Uh, here's my. Um, I'm gonna lay out my thoughts on this um, and why I think that people are taking this a little bit too far. Um, I think that the um, the story, what's given to us in the uh, in the rules of the world we've seen, like you said, mentioned about Ramsey being a psychopath, being a crazy person, right? Yeah. We also know what happens after a wedding in Westeros. There's rules that we've set. So this happening um, is 
consistent storytelling with what we know should happen with these characters. Yes. Okay? Surprises nobody. Yeah. That okay. So it, and again, it's consistent. But I think there's a, there's a lot of outrage out there over the fact that Sansa was raped at all. That this this not that it was shown, and I don't think that's where the outrage is coming from. Although some of it maybe, you know, that maybe could have been done a little bit more tastefully. Um, that it was the fact that it happened at all. That this didn't happen have have to happen to this character, and to, yeah. for this happening at all is in. Uh, is the outrage okay? Yeah, it's it's an injustice, but it's just on a like, and this the show has done that plenty of times. Yeah. This is just on a different level than we're used to. It's, and this is a, a subject that you know, like you said earlier, like it breeds not only controversy but just unease. Like people, yeah. we don't want to have to have. And again, this I think that's the point of that. I think it's. I mean, you said it's not supposed to just be controversial for the sake of being controversial. I think it's controversial because it's supposed to be uneasy. You know. Um, they they show yes. it to make us feel uncomfortable because it's supposed to be uncomfortable. And we'll see how they deal with that in, in the next couple episodes. Yeah, but um, that's I, a big question mark. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I in the, the I really want to get to like to just to talk to the people who think that this should have happened to sense at all. I think to those people, I would say, and this is there was a lot of book readers who were outraged because obviously this does, as far as I understand, does not happen to sense in the books. Okay, um, not, and not at this point. I think that know. people are just drawing a distinction between the fact that. Sansa was the one that was raped, okay? And we like Sansa and we're attached to this character. And in the books, it's a different character. And to say that it's well, not okay for Sansa to be raped, but it's okay for this other character in the book. That's not, I don't think that's the issue. Well, maybe for some people it is, but for me it's not. It doesn't happen in the books, and that's fine. It's, it, it, it's not like this is an explicit scene in the books either. It, it's, it's, again, implied. They don't, they don't have a scene where it's being described to you. The difference is in the books, Sansa's a POV character. Nobody wants to read a chapter of a book where you put yourself into that character and then you have to go through this, no, right? No, it, But that's kind of what we're doing with, like, Sansa's, again, the only person at Winterfell we care about. We are Sansa when we're in these scenes. It's obvious, like, it, it's understandable for people to be upset about this. See, I think, as a book reader, you put yourself in that, that state of mind. Because of how the books are written as point-of-view characters, right, and Sansa yes. being one of them, You put, when you watch these scenes, that's how you look at that. I don't look at it as being in the... in any one person's state of mind. I'm just taking it in as a whole. No, but like that's what that's what any any movie or TV show does. There's there's one person that you you are. You don't you don't think through their like you don't see through their eyes, but you you relate to one person, and it's generally whoever's sure. being abused, right? Yeah, and in this case, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Theon's also there. Um, yes. Right. So, and I think people have definitely grown to become definitely are have softened on the position of Theon ever since he. Yeah, like he's he's paid the price for yeah. his. Right, so you, there's multiple things going on here, obviously. Okay, so then, so what they're going to deal with in the next couple episodes is how this affects Sansa and how it affects Theon, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and that's why I think to not you, really the key. We know it's terrifying because of what we see on Theon's face and Sansa's face, right? We already see, you know what's going on with Sansa. That makes sense. With Theon, that's a whole different story. That's why it's also important to have that not cut that early because you need to see Theon's mental struggle there i think um to make, i don't know if he's to, yeah. to see, well i mean just and i i had um joanna robinson one of the people i like to follow on twitter she does a game of thrones podcast as well uh she um she made a comment saying that if the point of the scene was to allow for the redemption of theon then that's not okay because you can't have a woman being raped to allow for the redemption of a, some guy you know mm-hmm. that's not okay and if that's the case then I I would have to agree with her, but again I don't think it's solely this re- that reason or any other reason. I, I think it's as a whole. 
it's like I said, consistent storytelling. It's not playing favorites with our characters over other characters, yes. um, and it's um, and I think it, it was done fairly tastefully. I mean, I was as well, far as a rape scene can be done, you know. Uh, we don't. I get. Yeah, the whole thing is it has to get under your skin. Like you yeah. have to be grossed out by exactly. it. Exactly. If you're gonna do it, you're not gonna play like classical soft music over it and you know like the music is very tense uh like a tense string um thing going um and it's 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 purposely unsettling and people yes. became unsettled because of it and then got mad I of think course really to- and that's understandable the only thing they'll do like it doesn't need to be the cliffhanger like they, they, doing that just fe- it feels like they are going for that shock value again you know that they, they put so much emphasis on it I don't care how tastefully they did it. They like they're making us do this or go through this, and I'm not sure how. Like we'll see again what happens in the next episodes, but I'm not sure what the purpose of this was. I don't know what what purpose it served because we could have just we it could have been a little bit less explicit. Yes. Okay. I mean, I I agree with you there. Maybe you could have they could have toned it down. I think the importance of the scene. I've and I made my point of why it's important, uh, why we need, yeah. why it had to be there. Um, I'll mention. I'll just mention that uh, Sophie Turner weighed in. She said she really. I think her exact words were she loved the scene when she read it um, on the script, which I think was an odd choice of words, but yes. that's what she said. Um, she just liked that, you know, the implications for the character, I think, um, and what that meant. Um, what George R. R. Martin said, I'll read out his um, quote here. Quote, How many children does Scarlett O'Hara have? Three in the novel, one in the movie. Uh, sorry, one in the movie. None in real life. Uh, she was a fictional character. She never existed. The show is the show, the books are the books, two different tellings of the same story. There have been differences between the novels and the television show since the first episode of the first season. And for just as long, I've been talking about the butterfly effect. Small changes lead to larger changes, lead to huge changes. And he goes on about how this is one of those things where we make a small change here, you know, by not including this character, not including that character, and then later on down the road, these are the, these are the effects of those changes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most important thing to mention is that the fact that again, this is not a real person. It's not a real character, or it's not a real. It's not a person in real life. It's still. It's just a fictional take on a fictional character. So, but it's a very real subject, and it's good that there is a discussion about. This. Yes, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not trying to trivialize that. I just want to try to keep it. In I also, I don't understand. Like his quote. Like I understand that, but I don't, for me, at least, the controversy is not that this didn't happen in the books. Daniel, right. I mean, again, you, you, we talked about this a little bit before the episode, but I mentioned that right after the episode, I was very much intrigued as to see what people's takes were going to be on this. Um, and I, there was a lot of, because this didn't happen in the books, you are raping this character and it didn't happen in the books, therefore you're raping my television show and you're ruining the show for me because... Well, that's a little extreme. Well, I mean, that's what, there's a lot of book readers that felt that way. And, I, and then... Twitter is obviously not the best, but it's very much an echo chamber, right? But there's people, and I said there was a lot of lot of book readers who were, who were upset that this happened at all because it didn't happen in the books. And I think that's what George R. R. Martin's kind of speaking to in in that quote is the fact that yeah. people need to relax. This, there are two different mediums, and yeah. I, and trying to keep it in perspective that the fact that again this these it's just it's it's just a story. Um, which is important. I think perspective in this case is important. Um, anything else you want to mention about uh, about any of the controversy? Anything that we might have 
glossed over maybe didn't I, I think we, we spent a good amount of time on it like it was it was obviously disturbing i think it was meant to be disturbing and people having this this visceral like just anger reaction to it is probably what they expected to happen I'm just I'm I'm still on the fence as to whether or not it was necessary, and we'll see what happens within the last couple so episodes. Here's what I would I could mention. One other thing is that um, with the last time we had a rape controversy on Game of Thrones, uh, I, was that last season? Was the uh, yeah. Jamie? Okay, so yeah. that was last season, and I think the reason that became that it really spiraled out of hand really fast, and it was because of the way that the um, the director of that episode dealt with it. I don't know if you remember back then. Um, he made some sort of, I don't remember what he said. He made some sort of, like, offhand comment in an interview after it aired, or even I think even even before it aired, that um, about that scene, and how he he essentially just made a really um, crass comment, and then okay. really opened up the show to controversy and to scrutiny. I think the you know HBO in this case, was a lot smarter about it. They, uh, they did release some interviews with D.B. Weiss, George R. R. Martin, Sophie Turner. These are, all, these are all things you can read, but they're much more thought out, much more, much more thorough. They didn't open themselves up to, to, to controversy in the same way that they did last time, um, which is why I don't think it's gotten, it's gotten as far out of hand. Um, and again, this will always happen with you know these types of topics. I mean... We can talk about murder over and over and over and again in the show, but and it will never get as much, um, uh, you know, it will never be as controversial as a rape or as um, some other crimes can be. I mean, yeah. it's 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 not right, obviously, how our society um, kind of weighs these different types of things, uh, but it's just kind of how it is. And again, perspective is important. Fictional characters, fictional world. It's just a story in this case. Very serious topic. Okay, so I think we can end it there. Um, we will be back next week with episode seven of this fifth season. It's called The Gift, and what comes to mind right away is that area of the land close to the wall that uh, we talked about, I think, last week. Uh, that's yeah. going to be given to the, um, the, wildlings. Uh, the wildlings. But again, the, the term The Gift can be... could be almost anything. Almost anything. The other thing to, to remember is that uh, Stannis' army is, as we can assume, currently moving through the gift towards okay. Winterfell. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's... okay. So I'm and hoping maybe, to check in with them at least. Well, yeah, probably that, and um, I mean, Jon's probably not hat like, hasn't gotten to Hardhome yet. Especially because episode, I think episode 8 is called Hardhome. Yeah, so I, I mean, something that would deal with the gift would have to be then something with Stannis and not have to do anything to do because with the Because the wildlings wouldn't be there yet. Yeah, so... It, you know, it, it might be one of those things where it means multiple things. Uh, mm-hmm. We wouldn't be surprised with that one. That can be applied to a lot of different yeah. storylines, yeah. Um, especially with the titles of these shows uh, yeah. quite often. Um, other than that, I, I would suggest if you want to involve me or Daniel in any of these controversies that happen on the show, um, follow us on Twitter at Tower Babblecast. That's T O W E R B A B B L E. With an of in the middle? Not on, no, not on, not on Twitter. Tower Babblecast. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I am right. I, I use it every day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, follow us on there. Uh, send us any questions, comments, concerns, anything you guys. If you disagree with anything we had to say today, I'm, I'm sure we might get some of that. Uh, send us an email, uh, towerofbabblecast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com/towerofbabblecast. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. 
all that good stuff. Um, and again, we'll be back next week uh, with episode seven, uh, The Gift. This week's Game of Thrones cover theme is performed by the River City Healers. You can find their music on YouTube.